Yeah, tea has been consumed for at least 2,000 years. And some of the original modes of consuming tea was actually not as a beverage. It was as a food, really as this kind of bittering agent uh, that was applied to soups and stews. In, in this part of the world where Southeast Asia meets Yunnan, you know, Burma, Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and, and Yunnan, that's the kind of geographic birthplace of the tea plant. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about coffee. But today, today, and the next couple of episodes, so three-part series, is different. We're going to be talking about tea. So this is going to be Tea 101 for today, and for the next episode, and for the next episode. And... We just figured we you need to know you need to know a little bit about tea as well. So sit back and enjoy. So I'm joined in the studio by the lovely Katie. Hi. And we're going to talk about tea. Do you like tea? I do actually. Well, this and the next couple of episodes are going to be the episodes. For you, because I Ooh. learned, I mean, I like tea, but I learned uh, quite a bit. Um, the guy that we'll uh-huh. be talking about is named Jeff Shampoo. Sham- Jeff. Shampoo. I'm embarrassed now. I should have asked him how to pronounce his last name. It's C-H-A-M-P-E-A-U. I'm going to say shampoo because that sounds fancy. Shampoo. But yeah, you should. It might be shampoo. Who knows? I mean, Who knows? I mean, he was a really down to earth guy. It might be shampoo. It might. We're gonna be. say shampoo though. It might be because it sounds fancier. Amen. Anyway, he's the president of Rishi Tea, mm-hmm. um, which is a very well respected uh, tea uh, company. Um, they they do a lot Wait, of education. Rishi? Yeah, Rishi. I know them. Yeah. So interviewed Why? the president. Did you know that? He interviewed the president? I did. Oh, I did. of Rishi. Of Rishi, yeah. Oh, I thought Not you meant the like president, but Joe. The president. And I was like, oh. No, no, no. Cool. No, there was no JB on uh, the show. This was uh, JC. So, um, so yeah, so fantastic guy. And um, we did a three-part series on tea. And so today is going to be the basics. Uh-huh. We're going to do the basics of uh, tea. But before we get to that, you said oh, you yeah. had a question for yeah, me. Yeah, question of the day. Katie's question hey, of the ready? day. Are ready? So, yeah. welcome back, guys. And, and I seriously, I have no idea what she's about to say. She she would not tell me before we got on the air. It's not that. It's just the whole idea the of the element of surprise is okay. just peak. Okay. Anyway, so. Heart rate just went up. <sighs> Hi, guys. Welcome back to Katie's Question of the Day. Today's question is, are you ready? Go for it. Drum roll for me, please. Okay. What is your all-time favorite movie of all time? Ooh. Me? Yeah. You're asking yeah. me? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, can I pick, like, a top three? Uh, no. Just <laughs> <laughs> one. Okay. Uh, I think all-time favorite movie ever. Can I guess? Actually, no. Never mind. 
is Tombstone. Oh, I was going to say, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? I was going to top out the top three with Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou Uh and Ocean's Eleven. I've never seen Ocean's Eleven or Get out of here. I'm serious. Get out of here. I'm serious. Oh, my goodness. This is Actually, I'm not apologizing. You really, you have never seen Tombstone. Have you ever seen my favorite movie? What's your favorite movie? Um, Pride and Prejudice 2005 with Keira Knightley. I have not. Ha. That's I my need, favorite movie. I, I tell ever. you what. I tell you what. Let's pinky swear. Okay. So, you'll I'll watch Pride and Prejudice and okay. you watch Tombstone and what was the other one you Ocean's said? Ocean's 11. Ocean's 11. Okay. I if pinky they're promise. They're so good. Pride and Prejudice is so good. It will they're change so your whole manhood in a good okay. way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll do it. Okay. So, that was Katie's question of the day. So, um, let me do this also before we jump into the episode. Oh, wait, we, question of the week. Question of the week. Um, we have been going through, and we would encourage you, if you have questions on coffee or have statements or thoughts, um, to leave us a review and leave it in the review section, and we're starting to try to go through those. Um, so Memphis Guy uh-huh. said, hey, Kenneth and Katie. <gasps> Hey, and uh, I will let you, Katie, uh, when you get a chance, read the. Oh the, wow! It was a it was a very thoughtful um, review. Uh, and anyway, he was just saying hey, and that he really appreciated uh, what we were doing. But yeah. you need to read it because um, I think you would appreciate it. But here's what he said uh, towards the end. He said, "I especially enjoyed." The recent French press episode, not necessarily because of the talk about French press, uh-huh. but especially the frank discussion uh-huh. with Justin and your acknowledgement of the need to have priorities in life Facts. and the possibility of things in our lives becoming idols. Also, the ability we have to help others and ourselves through letting our guard down yes. and letting ourselves be vulnerable and sharing what we struggle with in life. Yeah, that's good. What do you think about that? It's deep. It is deep, but I mean, I think it's I think it's true. Yeah. Do you have like thoughts or pontifications on that? Because like for me, like when I when I look at leaders and I look at really good leaders, yeah. The ones to me that I would like, you know, represent in the trenches are the ones that I can tell that they aren't serving self. Right. That they're selfless, that they that they genuinely have a heart for serving others. Uh-huh. And ones that show vulnerability. I think another thing to look out for with like I feel like a lot of people see serving others as making other people happy. But are they making them happy, or are they wanting them to like them? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a big thing, like, I've seen with myself and, like, a lot of people, like, I'm around in high school. Yeah. It's just, like, people are like, oh, like, I'm going to do this to help this person. I'm going to do this or, like, whatever. But, like, deep down, it's not necessarily because we want them to be genuinely happy it's we want them to like us because it makes us feel better to do something for them have you ever heard that makes sense yeah have you ever heard of um a book by c.s lewis called the screw tape letters yeah i've heard of it okay have you ever read it no okay 
it's worth a read. Um, I have recently read through it probably, I read it a long time ago, and then I reread through it recently. Um, but what it is, the premise is, is it's this um, this representative of hell named yeah. Screwtape who is talking to his uh, person that he's trying to, named Wormwood, who is trying to, like, gain souls for hell. Right. And he's talking about all these different strategies. And one of the things that he talks about, he's like, make them do this good thing for somebody. Uh-huh. But to your point, he's saying, but make them be, like, proud of how humble they are about right. it. Right. You know what I mean? And so, like, it's like either way, it's, I mean, like, like it, it can get you on both sides. And, and, yes, I think you definitely have to have yeah. an awareness of that. Um, and is the world still benefiting from you doing these good things? Yes, but it's just your heart's not in it, if that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you're not doing it for necessarily right. the right reasons. Yeah. And so, to me, for example, that's why Coffee 101 is so fun because uh-huh. genuinely, and I hope that it comes out in in how we talk on the show, um, I just enjoy uh, like doling out random coffee education, and and hopefully people see that even I learn stuff on the show. I by by no stretch, you know, know everything there is to know yeah. about coffee, but I enjoy learning it. You know, so I'm a one on one or two. Woohoo! Um. And yeah, just having the right priorities in life and figuring out what your priorities are and um, that um, things in your life can become idols, Uh you know, like your phone or social media, or it can even be a spouse or, um, I mean, there's anything can be an idol and it's something that you just have to be aware of. But anyway... Just had to get that out there, and thank you, Memphis guy, for um, just pointing some of that stuff out. Um, but let's jump into the show with Jeff. So this is Jeff with Rishi T, and we are today going to talk about the basics of tea, just to prime you to go in to the rabbit hole further in the next couple of episodes. All right, let's jump to it. Jeff, got you on the show. Hey, Kenneth. Thanks for having me. So, um, you know, this is a, it's a coffee show. Uh, but like you just said before we came on, like coffee and tea are, are kind of like, they, they just, they go together, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Rishi has found a lot of commonality with the specialty coffee industry in the last 25 years. So we are we're very friendly with with the whole coffee community and look forward to talking with you a bit today about about the leaf. You know, and I and I wanted to I, I wanted to have some episodes on tea because um well, to be brutally honest, um like you know, I drink a lot of coffee. I drink some tea. My wife doesn't drink coffee at all. She drinks tea. And she's really persnickety about, it. it you know, what I have seen and what she sees is you go into a lot of coffee shops and they're really good at coffee. But they may not be good at all 
at at tea, you know, when it comes to the little things like the temperature and how long you leave it and or even the education. I know Rishi's big on education. And so um, I wanted to spend, you know, a few few episodes like you and I just kind of deep diving and going through tea. And, and I think we could really start kind of with just like the basics. Uh, so like, so if you could kind of give us a rundown of, and I know you could talk for ages, but like a rundown of like history, you know, where your story came in with Rishi and, you know, then we'll just kind of go, go from there. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll give a brief introduction about my journey with tea and my journey with Rishi. And, um, and then I'd love to begin the story of tea with history and anthropology. Um, I've, I've been working with Rishi tea and botanicals for 12 years and tea is really my passion. It's, I'm in my dream job. When I was in high school, I was, um, studying Chinese Mandarin, um, language, as my foreign language of study. And after my freshman year, I had a chance to spend a summer in China um, with students from all over the world. And it was my first time out of the country meeting kids from all over the world. And we, we bought a bunch of tea on our first or second night there. And so, you know, we were jet lagged and then we just got into this pattern of having these like, you know, tea ceremonies in our dorm room uh, during the whole summer, um, staying up into the into the late night, just talking about our cultures, where we come from, talking about the experiences we were having. This was back in 2003 or 2004. And, oh, my gosh, when I came home from that trip and I brought all this tea with me, the aroma of tea just transported me back to that really exciting time in my life. So I had this really, really, you know, amazing sensory connection to, to travel and just experiencing world cultures that was connected to the tea moment for me. And so as I went through high school, I, you know, just continued enjoying teas personally and got into college and, and started the tea club at my college and in my junior year of, of university, I traveled abroad and I specifically sought out a program that was in the southwestern part of China in Yunnan province. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is the is the geographical birthplace of tea. So I, I crafted this study abroad experience that had an anthropology research component um, to the to the semester I spent abroad. And so I got to travel around to all the ancient tea-producing regions of Yunnan. I was just blown away to see these ancient tea forests and tea gardens and learn firsthand about the production of one of my favorite styles of tea, which is called Puar tea. Mm. And so I took that experience and crafted it into my senior thesis paper um, in my final year of, of university and shortly after graduating, like I think two or three weeks after graduating, I went out to the World Tea Expo and I met Josh Kaiser, the founder of Rishi Tea at that show, talked to him about my travels and experience and you know, gave him a copy of my, of my thesis. And two or three months later, you know, we just struck up a great, 
a great discourse. And two or three months later, I, I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where Rishi T is based and mm-hmm. began my career in tea under the tutelage of, of Josh. And it's been an amazing ride. Rishi is such a special company. And, you know, Josh has really built something amazing with the, the direct trade sourcing of tea mm-hmm. from, you know, kind of off the beaten path as far as tea origins go. So I, I landed my dream job right out of college and I've had such an amazing career since. And, um, you know, I look forward to sharing some of those highlights and you know, talking to you about uh, the whole grand history yeah. of tea in its many forms. Well, and you know, um, tea, like how long, how long has tea been around? Yeah. Tea has been consumed for at least 2000 years. Okay. Which is a long time. Yeah. A long time. And some of the original modes of consuming tea was actually not as a beverage. Okay. It was as a food. Okay. And really as this kind of bittering agent uh, that was applied to soups and stews. Hmm. So in, in this part of the world where Southeast Asia meets Yunnan, you know, Burma, Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and, and Yunnan, that's the kind of geographic birthplace of the tea plant. And there's evidence that the first consumption of tea was taking the fresh leaf and adding it to soups and stews that contain ginger and scallions and broth. And it was this kind of nourishing uh, tonic that was added to the soup to kind of fortify the soup. Mm. And there are other methods of consuming the leaf, um, such as in in Burma and, and northern Thailand, where the tea leaf is lacto-fermented in a, in a kind of mode of pickling the tea leaf. Mm. And it creates this kind of sour pickle that is used as a condiment for you can add it to like stir fries with rice and it's just like kind of sour pickle addition to, to the meal table. And so that's another way of consuming tea that was around ever before it was crafted into a beverage. Have you ever had it like that? Like yeah. That? Yeah. I have. What does it I've taste like? I mean, it's, it's like a sour pickle. Huh. Um, it adds a nice you know, punch of uh, kind of a vinegary bite to the dish um, so, you know, everything is about balance in, in cuisine, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's not something that you just sit and eat a whole bowl of, but adding a pinch of it to the rest of your, your, you know, assortment of dishes, it really helps bring brightness and, and life. And, and I, you know, you catch a little buzz too, from the inherent caffeine and energy that's in tea. Yeah. Well, okay. So, um, I guess in thinking about tea and, uh, you know, I said my wife um, is actually not a coffee drinker. She's a tea drinker. But, like, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, like, like what besides the caffeine, um, I guess I wonder why people prefer, like, tea over coffee or coffee over tea. I mean, they're, they're two of the world's most popular and longstanding beverages, period. Um, and I mean, I know a lot of, about coffee, but like, what, it, what is it that you like about tea? And I think it could also include, you know, the, for you or for anybody else, like the story 
your personal story behind it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, uh, I don't know if that's part of it for you or if, I mean, do you drink coffee as well? You know, I enjoy tasting coffee, especially yeah. when I'm with our partners and yeah. they're really, really being guided through cuppings or tastings and understanding what elements of you know, the region or the process are are coming through in the tasting notes or why they chose to roast it with a certain profile. I get a kick out of that, but to be honest, for, for personal enjoyment, I, I seldom drink coffee. Yeah. I have the kind of opposite problem. My wife loves coffee yeah. and um, you know, drinks tea occasionally, but uh, yeah, I know how that goes. Stay with us. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101. All right, so this episode has nothing to do with coffee, but hey, Coffee and tea kind of go together. I mean, historically, both super dominant. You know, it's like the uh, the argument for, um, we'll say, who is a better basketball player long term or um, who, you know, was the most effective U.S. president. Uh, so tea and coffee have always kind of rivaled each other a little bit. And so we wanted to at least spend a little time on tea. So... When you're looking for tea, hopefully this and the next few episodes really help you understand what you desire in tea. But if you're looking for coffee, I'm just going to leave it at saying, look no further than Humble Coffee. You can go to HumbleCoffee.com or you can go to the link in the show notes. Otherwise, just sit back and enjoy learning about, no, 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 tea, tea. All right, let's get back to the show. So I guess run us through, if you can, the process, because um, we know it's obviously a leaf, um, and I'm assuming, and we haven't even gotten into, or we, we could talk if you wanted about botanicals and stuff like that, but um, is it strictly just a leaf, or are there certain situations where you're also using, is there some kind of bud or any, or any kind of flower for any of that? Or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go through the, the kind of plant genetics and the structure of the tea plant. So firstly, let's, let's delineate between, you know, true tea and spices, botanicals and herbs, right? So here, here in the West, you know, we, we talk about brewing and enjoying tea and, you know, that that used in its broadest sense can include things like chamomile tea, peppermint tea. Um, these are what we call herbal or botanical teas. And so the, the true tea plant um, is the species Camellia sinensis. And, you know, green tea, yellow tea, white tea, oolong tea, puar tea, and other kinds of fermented teas uh, and, and black tea, um, also called red tea in some cultures. These are all of the, the styles of tea that can be produced from the leaves harvested from the Camellia sinensis plant. Mm. And that's the plant that you know, originated in that part of the world where Nagaland and Southeast Asia you know, meet up against Yunnan province of China. And so that'll be that'll that'll govern most of our of our conversation today. And we'll set aside 
you know, chamomile, ginger, turmeric, elderberry, peppermint, and the, the various other kinds of botanical teas. Um, those are also very important to the entire, you know, world of quote unquote tea. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should definitely have some time to discuss that as well. But Camellia sinensis, uh, it's an evergreen plant. And there are kind of three main branches of the Camellia sinensis plant in terms of genetics. So I like to think about, you know, wine. We have Vitis vinifera. That's the species of the wine grape, right? Mm -hmm. But we have so many varietals of the wine grape that are genetically distinct from one another. And that, that speaks to the role of, of humans cultivating, you know, the wine grape in different regions, the grape adapting, evolving and changing over the course of human history. And we see the same thing has happened with the tea plant as, you know, humans have uh, encountered tea, spread the cultivation of tea throughout uh, East Asia and, and later to other parts of the world. The plant has uh, organically adapted throughout that course of history. And so we look at three main branches of the tea plant. You have Camellia sinensis asamica, Camellia sinensis sinensis, and Camellia sinensis cambodiensis. So are, are those three, three are those three varieties or are they three species or Yeah, we would call those um, subspecies. Okay. And then underneath each of those classifications, we have what we call cultivars okay. or cultivated varieties, which we can think of as like a varietal of wine. Yeah. And so there are thousands of cultivars of the tea plant. It's really amazing how differentiated the tea plant has become through the course of, of human history um, and the inherent kind of nutrient profile and characteristics, flavor compounds, all of those things are really distinct when we compare, you know, one cultivar against another. It's, it's really a wide universe of tea. Well, and let me say this for our one-on-oneers out there. So how this would compare in the coffee world is like species wise, like on the, like I'll say the big umbrella um, where, you know, Jeff is pointing out these three different types uh, of subspecies, like our equivalent in coffee would be like, say the difference in Arabica and Robusta and, you know, hopefully 10 or 20 years down the road, we'll be able to say like Stenophila um, and some of these others. But then under those, especially under Arabica right now, you have um, tons of, we would call them varieties, varietals, or cultivars. And so same concept here in tea. And so one question I have, because like, for example, with our cultivars or varieties like SL28 or Woosh Woosh or uh, Gesha or Bourbon or whatever, um, all else being equal, like processing method, and if you could hold everything equal, to me they would taste different, like the varieties would taste different. So, so for tea, do the cultivars to you, a, a tea expert, like do they taste different? Absolutely. The, the nutrient profiles are, 
are quite distinct and they've, they're, they're distinct by intention. And it, it relates to that selective breeding that humans have applied to the leaf, you know, over, over many centuries. And it, it's so distinct in fact that, you know, we can come through and do a, do a bit of myth busting here. Okay. So one, one thing we commonly hear in like T101 books is like all, all true tea comes from this same plant, Camellia sinensis, green tea, white tea, black tea, oolong, et cetera. Right. Um, but it's, that's a, it's a grand oversimplification because there are certain, certain cultivars of the tea plant that are bred to have the right nutrient profile to make an amazingly lively, like sencha steamed green tea in Japan. But if we tried to make, you know, maybe oolong or a really robust red tea for, for English breakfast or something like that, if we tried to produce that style of, of tea from those leaves of that cultivar, we're going to find it's going to be, you know, light in density, not get to the deep red color that we want. It might stay kind of yellowish. And so, you know, we cannot make every style of tea from every tea plant well. Yeah. And so there's this like inextricable connection to the sense of place and how the, the people in a, in a certain region have intentionally cultivated tea and how that fits in with their food culture and culture overall. Um, and, and there's a connection between that and the styles of tea that you might choose to make in any given place. And so there's this really interesting connection to the, to the local, you know, consumption of tea. Yeah. And that's a key pattern. Well, okay. So, all right. Super interesting for me. So like, um, say the conundrum with Robusta versus Arabica is Robusta is more, um, disease resistant. It can grow at lower elevations. It can grow in hotter climates. Uh, it can produce more, but it doesn't taste as good. And then it's all the opposite for Arabica. So, and then even in Arabica, under your varieties, you'll have some that do produce a lot um, and some that don't. Um, and so I guess I'm, I'm also wondering, you know, with taste, are there also teas that are cultivated for like high production? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, each each cultivar has its own trade-offs that, that we can look at. In some cases, they might tend to grow a bit more slowly and produce more concentrated flavor. Um, but but more often that is actually going to be a function of the growing region mm-hmm. more so than the genetics of the plant. So when we look at the teas that are growing in Southeast Asia and Yunnan, China, you know, Sri Lanka, um, Southern India, these are warmer, more subtropical type climates. And so the tea plant is you know growing in these kind of jungle environments, some really beautiful um, sources that, that we source from, for instance, are in the Doi Changdao region of Northern Thailand. That's one of our primary gro- growing regions 
for black tea that we use for English breakfast, masala chai, um, London fog concentrate. And it's, it's amazing. These steep mountain slopes, almost like rainforest jungle surrounding. And so in that environment, it's hot and humid. The tea plant is more prolific and it's more vegetatively productive. So we can get more leaf mass and, and more frequent harvests from a region like that than say compared to Darjeeling, India, or some other high mountain elevation growing regions like in central Taiwan. And you know, the higher elevation you go, the, the cooler the climate, the farther north you go, you know, you get you get a little bit less vegetative production from the tea plants, um, but you tend to get more concentrated um flavor into some of those plants as well so there there are all these integrated trade-offs that we consider when we look at what plants are growing where and what styles of tea might you know the farmers choose to to produce in any given region well okay so do they have like for example with um with the like with coffee they'll have like what they call cup of excellence um where in a given country, we'll say Colombia, um, they would, uh, you know, have people compete for like, this is obviously the best. The equivalent would be like, I guess for like a black tea or something like that. Do, do they have things like that in the coffee world? I mean, in the tea world? There are some competitions. Japan, Taiwan, for instance, have these annual competitions and um, you know, producers submit their their very best micro lots of expression of certain styles of tea um, to these competitions. So we like to keep an eye on those, and and um, you know, a lot of our producers who, who we have longstanding relationships with, they'll they'll submit certain selections um, as well. And yeah, but they tend to be more micro lot oriented. Yeah, um, and you know. For, for our business, we're looking for, you know, sustainability for the long term. We have a, a whole variety of loose leaf teas that we need to kind of produce at a certain scale. And then we have a, a kind of limited edition series we call Garden Direct, which we sell primarily uh, direct to consumer. And that's where some of these kind of super, super competition grade choice selections of tea might, might make their way into the Rishi mix. Um, but yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I would say because the, the styles of tea are so vast, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the characteristics of a lightly oxidized oolong with a flowery and floral character are so different from a robust Assam uh, black tea. It's so different from Phoenix Dantong oolong tea from Guangdong, China. It's so different from Fujian silver needles. And so the, the, the styles of tea are so, so vast that, that there's not really a global single um, metric or series of metrics by which all teas are compared. Yeah. We really have to immerse in the local culture, the local tea terminology, and understand the qualities of tea within the, the more localized or regional context, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so... What I want to do is I want for what we're 
you and I are going to pause on this excellent talk on tea, and we're going to come back next week on it because what I what I really want to do is deep dive on how the different like green and black and everything in between those teas are actually made and what makes them different and then um hopefully get into you know getting our one-on-oneers to understand like the difference in brewing temperatures and how that brings out different things in the teas and and stuff like that so we're going to have you we're going to have you come back next week but before i let you go today um Tell me about Rishi and tell me about some of the the great things that, that y'all are doing out there in the world because I've had your coffee um, and I know that y'all have very high standards um, and uh, really feel like you have a passion for what you do. Um, but just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, thanks, Kenneth. Um, yeah, Rishi T was, was founded in 1997 and yeah, so we, we've been in this game of direct trade, organic, premium teas and botanicals for over 25 years. And I think, you know, what really sets Rishi apart is the depth and breadth of our direct trade practice. You know, so our founder, Josh Kaiser, I mean, he spent over six months a year traveling to really nurture uh, relationships with growers and producers around the world it's been doing that since he founded the company and, and still still is doing that with a team of buyers around him to support. Um, so we really value that direct relationship with growers. We're traveling to, to understand you know, the, the situation at the farm level and understand how we can be a, a sustainable, long-term, like-minded partner with growers to kind of commercialize the various harvests, the various styles of tea that they're producing, not come in and just cherry pick, you know, one or two micro lots and then leave them to figure out what to do with the rest of it. But, you know, to invest into organic tea cultivation, it really requires a lot of planning and trust and commitment on both sides. So, um, you know, we really take that responsibility seriously and we really believe that that old school way of, of meeting and working together in person is the foundation of that, of that trust. And I think, you know, our, our inspirations that we, that we capture from our travels around the world that really fuels our R and D team with um, a global perspective. And we draw inspiration from all kinds of food and beverage culture from mixology, from, uh, you know, Ayurveda and Chinese uh, and Korean medicinal herbal systems from North American or European herbal traditions as well. And we might be inspired by even just like a dish we might have on our, on our travels. So I think when it comes to the, to the blends that we produce, you know, there's a unique kind of signature um, and a global twist that you can find in the Rishi blends. So, you know, we really, take seriously this idea of having reverence for the traditions and immersing in the, in the tea cultures of the world, but also being inspired by those traditions to produce something fun and new and fresh uh, for the tea consumer out there. Um, So, you know, we've been doing this direct trade organic tea sourcing for 25 years. 
We have a whole collection of loose leaf teas that's kind of the core of our business. And we have uh, a line of biodegradable uh, sachet tea bags as well that we service to more high volume type establishments where maybe the loose leaf um, program is, is um, you know, not, not so easy to adopt. We've got our chai concentrates. We've got matcha and other innovative tea and botanical powders. Uh, so we've got the whole portfolio of, of amazing teas to offer um, for any kind of, you know, a beverage program. Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. Um, and, you know, I've seen uh, different tea companies over time, and uh, I think y'all bring a, like a, I'd say an artisanal eye to, um, you know, and, and you help tell the story. Um, so for anybody who has ever gotten your, I think you call it lookbook. I can't remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, just, just, you know, it's a little artistic in that like, you know, it, it, to me, it tells the story and if it tells the story, ultimately it would say the same thing, um, that we see in coffee that hopefully that, um, that story lends to a consumer appreciating and being willing to pay a little higher price and hopefully that getting back to the farmer so that, you know, they're not just surviving but making a great product, but they're actually, you know, having a more sustainable life, if that makes sense. Yeah, for for them and for the, the young people that will, you know, inherit these farms and you know we need to we need to build up the demand for for tea and coffee as really premium artisanal craft beverages to create that economic viability you know it's not just about environmental sustainability i think in a lot of ways it's about that economic viability as well and i mean just one quick anecdote um there's a there's a tea called silver needles yeah which is uh tr- traditionally grown in eastern china in in fujian and it takes something like 18,000 individually plucked buds of the tea of the tea plant to produce 1 kilo of mm-hmm. dried silver needles tea so that's about 5 days harvesting of just one tea picker to wow. produce a kilo that's crazy that like the, the the amount of attention and care that goes into you know producing tea as a as a craft beverage it's it's for real okay so and just uh one one last thing before i let you go today um is most tea hand picked or do they have pickers how does that work yeah most most of the teas that rishi sources and carries are hand picked Tea, tea likes to grow on mountain slopes. It likes a well-draining soil. Yeah, kind of like coffee. So, yeah, yeah. So most of those environments, hand-picking is um, it, it's more viable. Yeah, I will say Japan has developed some really amazing agricultural science over the last uh, 100, 200 years. And so there are gardens in Japan that have various types of mechanized harvesting mm-hmm. um, from handheld harvesters that are carried by two pickers across the the tea plants to these amazing machine operated like Zambonis that drive over the tea plants and, and harvest the leaf. 
And it's like, it's amazing because even, even in using the mechanized, you know, approach, there are all these subtle nuances. Like you can set the depth of, of how deep, you know, the cutting is being done. And there's a, there's a vacuum to help lift the, the leaves up so that you're just getting a clean cut on the stems. Yeah. So there's a great attention to detail in Japan, even for mechanized uh, tea harvest. Yeah. But most of it by hand. Well, that's cool. Um, and I guess between tea and coffee, one thing is always easy to forget is, especially if it's a good quality tea or a good quality coffee, great chance that it was hand-picked. And you may be spending, at best, three to four minutes concentrating on that coffee or that tea that morning. And, you know, to to one grand extent, like what you're talking about with the uh, with the tea you were talking about a second ago, um, it might take them, just for your cup of coffee, it might take them several hours to, like, pick enough to be the equivalent of like that cup of coffee. And so that's, uh, I mean, that's a lot when you look at that. It's amazing. You know, and we can, we can be inspired by that every time we enjoy our tea or coffee and just feel a sense of connection, you know, to the people around the world that, you know, putting in such hard work to, to make this craft possible for, for our, for our enjoyment and theirs. Well, Awesome. It's good having you on today, Jeff. Thank you, Kenneth. It's awesome. Look forward to the next one. Isn't Jeff a great guy? He is. He was very, like... He gives off tea vibes. Oh, yeah. Tea person or coffee person? He's a tea person. Yeah, well, and you didn't even see when, like, I was actually... We were doing the video. We didn't record the video, but we are doing the video... And, like, the whole time, he's, like, making and remaking tea and, like, what? sipping on it, like, the whole time, you know, in these fancy little, uh-huh. like, cups and stuff he like that. He likes tea. He likes tea a lot. So, um, so yeah. So, it was good, and it was good kind of learning. I like learning, like, where stuff comes from, and like, historically, and, like, the stories behind. Right. Like, where it got to where it is, and, and some of those details of like how you actually, you know, process the teas and that that stuff is fun. So anyway, 101ers, we will catch you next time on Coffee 101 and it'll be Tea 101 because we're doing three episodes on tea. So do a couple of things, leave us a review. And if you have questions or comments about anything related to tea or coffee, Just leave it in the review, and we'll try to get to it in the show. And tell a friend. Go tell a friend. Like, like that that friend needs to know that there is a coffee and or tea education podcast out there. All right. Love y'all. See you next time. Bye. On Coffee 101.